0: Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Let's jump into the message today. We're on our third week of prayer and fasting. We've been doing 21 days here at the church for prayer and fasting at the start of the year, and this is our last seven days. So if you got your Bibles, let's get them out. We love the Bible here at the Rhodes Church. We get a little pumped, a little jacked up when we talk about it. So as you open them up, let's open them to Matthew chapter 4. Woo! Matthew chapter 4. Anybody ready for the word? All right, I got seven people ready for the word. The rest of you, I hope you'll join in. It's going to be good. Sermon notes are available there on the YouVersion Bible app if you'd like to follow along. Note takers are world changers. I want to pray before we get started, Jesus, you are amazing, you're wonderful. Everything is about you, everything is for you. You're the only one that we want to give any glory to today. So Lord, I pray that this word will come alive in our hearts and in our spirits, that we will draw closer to you. Have your way, Jesus. We submit to you, we yield in Jesus' awesome name. Everybody say amen. Amen. I want to talk to us today about, and I love the two words that were given in this service is different from the first. I want to talk to us about enduring temptation. I want to talk to us about being prepared for the temptation that is coming, because mind you, temptation is real. It's coming to us all. It's already happening in our life, but there's other temptations coming, so we want to be ready for that. We're going to talk about what that story looked like here in Matthew chapter four. This is Jesus coming in contact with Satan and enduring temptation himself. Have you got Matthew chapter four? Let's look at verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Look at verse 1. So Jesus was led up by the Spirit. So who is doing the leading here? It's the Holy Spirit. Who's doing the following? Jesus. So where did the Holy Spirit lead Jesus? Into the wilderness. Into the wilderness. And again, that's not southern Illinois wilderness. It's not a bunch of trees. This is desert. Led him into the desert. So what did the Holy Spirit, what was the purpose of the Holy Spirit leading Jesus into the wilderness so that he would be tempted by the devil? The agenda on the mind of the Holy Spirit was to lead him into the Holy Spirit, knowing that the temptation of the devil was going to be there when he got there. Two things about the word tempted I want you to get in your heart. Write them down if you're not on the U Version Bible app and you're just taking notes. I want you to write these down. Two facets of the word tempted. Number one, the word tempted means to trap, this is the agenda of Satan. Satan wants to trap you and I. He wants to get us to make a mistake. He wants to get us to do something we're not supposed to do so that we will fail. So in that context, temptation means to trap. It's a negative connotation. The second part of this word means to train. To train. A lot of people don't think about the word temptation, think about to train. Because you got the agenda of Satan is always to tempt, to fail. But the agenda of Jesus going through a temptation is training. He's not the author of the temptation itself. He's overseeing the temptation with an agenda on the other side. Very important for us to make that distinction. Here's what the other part of the word tempt means in the Greek language. To be put to the test in order to reveal strength and nature. So why do we go through tests? Why do we go through adversity? Why do we go through issues? To reveal strength and to reveal our true character and nature. This is the agenda of Jesus. So now let's look at verse 2. Now when he, talking about Jesus, had fasted how many days? 40. Don't complain about 21 ever again. Now when he had fasted, <laughs> when he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was what? He was hungry. Fasted. So Jesus fasted. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus Christ. Jesus the Christ. We followers of Jesus are called Christians. Christian means Christ-like. So if Christ fasted, should Christians fast? Yes. We should fast. Should be a part of our makeup. Should be a part of our walk with Jesus. What we're talking about day, today is what we need to do to be equipped Just like those two words that were given. God's wanting to prepare the bride of Christ for the days ahead. And fasting, I'm convinced, is a key tool that will help us be prepared. It's an underutilized tool. Some churches never even talk about it. I was raised in church most of my young life and never, ever heard about fasting. Thought that was some radical freaks did. But fasting is something every Christian should do. So that's why we give an opportunity at the beginning of the year to teach on it and open our eyes to more of it. Jesus emphasized what to do when we fast. Look at Matthew chapter 6. He gives us some instructions. Look what he says in verse 16, moreover, when you fast, when, notice he doesn't say if you fast, he doesn't say if you feel led to fast. I just don't feel led, Chad. Well, I don't either. I feel like eating. I don't feel led to fast. But what we feel doesn't determine our answers or our direction. It's what Jesus is saying. And he says, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear to men to be fasting. He was talking about people that the, the religious leaders of the day, when they were fasting, they would contour their face and look sad, they would actually discolor their skin. They would put stuff on their skin to make them look pitiful. So people would go, oh, you're fasting. (laughs) You know what Jesus said to people like that? There's your reward right there. The fact that they acknowledged you and said, wow, that's pretty impressive. Jesus said, I hope you enjoyed that compliment because that's all you're getting. You're not getting any reward from me. The rewards we need to embrace are the rewards that we do not get from people. We're looking too many times to get our rewards from people when we should be reserving the true rewards for heaven where nobody knows. Oh, that's good. Never mind. Don't appear to be men to be fasting. Assuredly I say to you, they have their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face. Huh? Perk up a little bit. Put some excitement on your face. Because you do not want to appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who's in the secret place, and your Father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. Who are we supposed to fast to? We're supposed to fast to our Father. He's giving us that instruction on how to do it. Matthew 9 says this, the disciples of John came to Jesus and said, Hey, why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples don't fast? Jesus said to them, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. He was saying, my disciples, my followers, once I'm gone, they will fast. Is Jesus gone? Did he ascend into heaven? Are we his disciples? Yes, then we're supposed to fast. What does it mean to fast? Fast means abstaining from food for some religious purpose. Just abstaining from food for some religious purpose. Again, it's it's going after more of him. It's turning away from food to turn your affections on God. You're like, well, I don't have to do that in order to turn my affections on God. I get it, I get it. But why else would Jesus do it? Here's what I believe. I believe fasting is the most valuable tool to crucify our flesh. I've been at this Walked with Jesus for a long time. And I'm not saying I've arrived and got it all figured out. But I have never experienced anything in my life that crucifies my flesh like fasting. When you say no to that natural desire and give more of your time to God, there's nothing like it. Nothing like it. So I just encourage you, see what God wants you to do. Look at Joel chapter 2 though. Here's an important part of fasting. Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me. Everybody say Turn. Turn to me with how much of your heart? With all of your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So fasting is not just about what I turn away from. Here's the ditch you can get into. Well, I'm giving up this and this and this. I'm not doing this. And we're just not doing something. It's not about what I'm turning away from as much as it's what I'm turning to. So during our prayer and fasting time, we're not just turning away from certain things like food, but we're turning to God more, giving him all of our hearts. So fasting is a refocus of I'm giving him everything that I have. My flesh is getting weaker. My spirit's getting stronger. Why? Because he's preparing you and I for the battle ahead. Because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We just heard that. So we need to be strong where? In our spirit. We don't need to be strong in our flesh. We need to be strong in our spirit. So we need to allow our flesh to be weak and our spirit gets stronger so we realize where our true strength comes from. See last week's sermon for that part. Let's go to verse three. Someone says, wait a minute. Well, fasting's really hard. Yes. Fasting's difficult. But here's the problem in the body of Christ. The church too many times has has leaned away from the difficult things because we wanted to attract people. So let's don't talk about anything difficult. Fasting is difficult, but guess what? Difficult times are coming, church. We need to be prepared. It's not going to get less difficult in the end times. Read your Bible. It's going to get more difficult. Now that's not to be in despair and discouraged and fall apart. We're still going to have God with us But I believe that that, uh, persecution is coming to the United States of America. It's coming. And I believe there's going to be a why in the road to those who say, I am truly a follower of Jesus and those who say, I want to go to heaven and I want to go to church, but I'm not going to be sold out. There's coming a why in a road where we will have to choose. I believe it's coming. I believe it's coming. So God's preparing us for difficult things. Have you found verse three? Now when the tempter came to him, came to Jesus, he said, notice something. Whenever the tempter comes to us, he's going to say something. He's going to speak. Sometimes we're caught off guard because we're not prepared for the voice of the enemy. He's going to say stuff. How's he going to say stuff? Sometimes he's going to say stuff through somebody else, a person. Sometimes he's going to say stuff through your own thoughts and your own head. Anybody have your own head, be like your worst enemy? Like the the battlefield is in your mind? That's where it's at. Many times it's like trying to get get your thoughts taken captive according to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. That I'm taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ Jesus. He's going to say something. He's going to speak. So we have to be prepared when he speaks. Look what else, what does he say? What does he say to Jesus? He says, if you are the Son of God. If. If. What were the devil's first words to Jesus? We have no recorded interaction of Jesus and the devil verbally since he's been on the earth. This is the first words that that we can see recorded between their interaction. His first words, if you are the son of God. If you are. The devil's first agenda was to question the validity of what the Father has already said to Jesus. Look back in the, in the previous chapter, the last verse of the previous chapter, chapter 3, verse 17. Jesus comes up out of the water, right? And suddenly a voice came from where? From heaven. From heaven. Where is the Father? He's in? Heaven. Our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. A voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son. Not this might be my beloved son. This Not this may be my beloved son. The voice from the father came and said, This is my boy. I'm saying it. This is my son and who am I well pleased. So then Satan comes and said, If you are the son of God. The father just said, You are the son of God. Here's what the enemy wants to do. The enemy always wants to... Get us to question the validity of what God said and question it against what the devil is saying. This has been his tactic from the beginning. Remember Garden of Eden, right? Whenever God said, don't eat the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden. Of the rest of the trees, you can eat any of it. It's all yours. Have at it. And so then Satan shows up to Eve and he says, hey, Eve, did God really say you can't eat of this tree? And she said, well, no, I mean, he said we could eat of any tree, but just not this one because the day we eat of it or even touch it, we'll surely die. And the devil said, you will not surely die. Two voices. God said, you eat it, you'll die. Satan says, you won't die. His agenda was to get them to question the validity of what God said. How did he get them to question the validity? He took them and showed them the fruit and they saw that it was good to eat. He took took them to something physical realm and made them question something they heard from God based on what they saw in the natural. How much does he do this every single day to us? God says something, but he shows us something and says, see, it's not like what God told you. He's trying to get us to make our belief of what we know based on what we see instead of what we believe. God wants us to walk by faith and not by sight. The enemy wants us to walk by sight and not by faith. In the church, for us to be successful in life, we have to engage our faith. Hebrews 11 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, hoped for the evidence of things not seen. So this is what God is speaking to him. This is how Jesus faced this temptation. He's trying to get him to question Just because God said you're the Son of God doesn't mean you're the Son of God. Do something to prove it. He says, command these stones to be turned to bread. If you are, then do something. He was saying the only way, Jesus, you can really know if you're the Son of God is if you do something to prove it. Why is that problematic? How many times do we see this in society where we are constantly trying to do something To prove we are who God says we are. How many people do you know that are constantly trying to do something to prove to other people that they are who God says they are? How many times are we trying to jump through hoops to get approval from someone else instead of getting our approval from the Father? Like, we're trying to get acceptance. We're trying to get liked. We're trying to get uh, uh, that, that, that I'm okay, that, that you like me. I, I need something. I need something here, please. I need to do something. I need to be good. I need to make this much money. If I could just make this much money, then I'm going to be accepted. I, I need to look like this. If I look like this, then everybody's going to like me. I need to do something. We're trying to do things to get approval from people that are not supposed to give us our approval. Our approval is supposed to come from heaven. But we're constantly trying to do something. If I can just do this, if I can just do that, if I can just stop doing that, then God will love me. If if I can do this more, then God will love me, then, then he won't be mad at me. Stop trying to do something that God's already freely given you. He loves you. Why? How do I know that? Because he said so. What God says has to be enough. So what does our our affirmation has to get from what we believe? We need to operate by faith. When we operate by faith, we disarm the enemy's tactics. He doesn't know what to do with you when you look at something that is opposite of what uh, you're believing for, and, and you see it, and you go, that's all right. I believe God anyway. He doesn't know what to do with you. His hands are tied. He's like, if I can't get you to trip up over that, then I don't, I don't know what to. He does not understand faith. He trips over it. So this is why God said in that armor we just read. Remember, above all, take up the shield of faith, whereby you're able to quench all the fiery darts of the evil one. How many fiery darts can we quench with the shield of faith? All of them. So now whenever the devil, doesn't mean you're not going to get darts shot at you. It just means we'll be able to quench them when we operate by faith and not by sight. This is how Jesus is teaching us to overcome temptation. We got to release our faith. We got to believe. He's equipping us for that. So in the kingdom of God, really knowing something is based on what we believe and not what we see. That's a quick statement. But that one statement, if we will get it in our heart, will change our life. So I'm going to say it again. In the kingdom of God, the way we truly know something, whether it's real or not, is not based on when we finally see it, hold it, touch it, whatever. When we really know is based on what we believe. Yeah. Yeah. That is the kingdom. Well, I'm from Missouri. <laughs> Show me state. Sorry. If you've got to explain it, just don't, don't explain it to your neighbor. If they didn't get it, move on. You know, we we like, well, i, I got to see it to believe it. No, not in the kingdom you don't. In the kingdom, we believe first. We walk by faith and not by sight. Okay? So this is what God is telling us as we're preparing for temptation. We need to walk by faith. Look in verse 2. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. He was what? Hungry. He was hungry. What does the word hungry there mean? In the Greek language, it means starving. Pretty deep, huh? It also means in need or want of food. So check this out. This may seem Captain Obvious, but I I feel like there's a revelation here that God wants to speak to us. After Jesus fasted for 40 days, he was in need or desiring of food, right? So Jesus wanted food. You got that? So look what he says. What's the temptation in verse three? If you are the son of God, then do what? Command that these stones become what? Become What was Jesus wanting right now? Bread. What did Satan tell him to do? Turn the stones into. Satan was using Jesus' own desires in the temptation. Here's a principle that I think is very important for us in spiritual warfare the enemy is going to try and use your and my own desires to get us to fail. Let me show you what that means. Is the desire for food of Jesus evil? I mean, he's hungry. I have not eaten in 40 days, right? So is the desire to want food bad? No. So sometimes it's not about whether our desires are right or wrong, because people will say this, and I've said this, well, I don't see anything wrong with that. Sometimes it's not about whether our desire is right or wrong. The issue is where we choose to fulfill that desire. Right? I mean, it's like, it's not about, let me just analyze whether my desire is right or wrong. Because I may look at my desire and go, well, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm hungry, so therefore I need to eat. What if God says, I don't want you to eat right now? Who's ruling? Who's calling the shots? Jesus said, evidently the father called him into this fast for 40 days and now the enemy says, hey, it's time to eat. Jesus was saying, I'm not eating until the father says it's time. I'm not going to get my fulfillment of this natural desire through your voice. You're not going to be the one that leads me into what I'm going to do. Some of our desires are perfectly natural. But God gives us some boundaries on how to fulfill them sexual desires are from god they're god-given satan didn't give us sexual desires was that too strong stay away from the s word you get nervous but here's the issue that desire fulfilled outside of the boundaries of god now leads to sin which leads to death so a natural desire Outside of the fulfillment of the boundaries of God is where we fall into traps. Because we think, well, there's nothing wrong with that. Everybody has that desire. Yes, everybody does. But that doesn't mean they get it fulfilled through their own boundary system. They get it fulfilled through the heavenly boundary system. Because the heavenly boundary system is designed to protect us and bring us to life. The enemy's boundary uh, system is, is based on the fact that he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. So now, Jesus' own desires. He was hungry. He wanted some food. Sin results when we fail to submit our desires to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Here's one of the agendas in a temptation. The devil's wanting you and I to get our boundaries on how we make decisions, how we handle our desires, how we, who, let, who we let lead our desires. He wants to get our dependency off of God and get them on ourselves. Where I, myself, I start determining my own boundaries. I become the Lord of my life. That's what Satan wants to do. This is something I keep emphasizing because I think the enemy sneaks up on us because people think the devil's desire is to, is to get people to worship him. That is not his motive. That's too Captain Obvious. <laughs> He's not coming up to you and say, would you like to be a Satan worshiper? <laughs> Nobody's going to do that. He's, getting, he's coming up to you and saying, would you like to do whatever you want to do? Absolutely. Right? <laughs> <laughs> would you like to lead your own life and have complete freedom to do whatever you want when you want? Yes. <laughs> That's his motive. That's his goal. Because when Jesus is not Lord in our life, there's only two sides to the team, to the game. We're, we're in a battle, and there's only two sides. There's not a third side. There's Jesus, and there's the kingdom of darkness. There is no neutral team. There's no purgatory team. There's no team that's just, well, I'm not too much that. I'm not too much this. I'm just right there in the middle. Guess what happens to the middle people? <laughs> Jesus called them lukewarm. And he said, I will spit you out of my mouth. I don't want to be in the middle team. I don't want to be on the dark team. I want to be on team Jesus. So now, how do we, how do we endure temptation? Go to James chapter 1. We'll close here. How do we endure temptation? James chapter 1. He's in the back part of the New Testament after Hebrews. If you run into Peter, turn left. James chapter 1. We're going to endure temptation. Look at your neighbor and say, endure it. Endure it. Endure it. Endure it. We've got, we got to endure temptation. Temptation's coming. The enemy's coming. He's trying to trap you, but God's trying to prove you. I want to encourage somebody. God's got an agenda in every test or trial that we go through, and that, that agenda is for you to come out stronger on the other side. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're not making milk toast. wimpy I'm just letting words run around the track <laughs> wimpy we'll just stick with that one God's not wanting to raise up wimpy followers it's warfare time hmm? come on let's buck up we want to be tough in sporting events but if nobody wants to be tough in the body of Christ there is no tougher place than to be a follower of Jesus that's where the real rubber meets the road People and say no to Satan, say no to temptation, say no to endure adversity. This is where the real strength lies. When Jesus is the Lord of our life, we're serving him. Those are the real victors. Look at James chapter 1, verse 12. It says, blessed is the man or woman who endures temptation. Notice what it does not say. It does not say blessed is the person who avoids temptation. What are we supposed to do with temptation? We're supposed to Endure. endure it. Endure it. That means we go through it. We keep advancing. We don't quit. We don't give up. Two sides to temptation. Remember, one is to trap us. One, The other one is to train us. So blessed is a person who endures temptation for when he has been approved. That word "approve" means that you came through on the other side and you gave a, everybody heard the phrase, stamp of Approval. Stamp of approval is where something has been inspected, something has been examined, something has been looked through, and so someone with authority says, I give that my stamp of approval because it has been tested, examined, and it is genuine. This is what God is saying, that when we endure temptation, we will be approved, and he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord promised to those who love him. Anybody looking forward to a crown of life? We got to look forward to the crown of life more than we look forward to the weekend. We got to look more forward to the crown of life than we do the party. There's, There's more to life. We got an eternal purpose. We're working for a crown that's much bigger than what can happen in the temporary. He said give the crown of life. Which the Lord has prepared for those, promised for those who love Him. Look at verse thirteen. Let no one say, "When he's tempted, I'm tempted by God," for God cannot tempt, be tempted by evil. So God's not authoring, orchestrating the temptation itself. He's overseeing the temptation from a from a thirty thousand foot viewpoint, and He's seeing what we were going to be on the outside. The devil's the one offering the temptation to try and get us to fail. God's the one trying to approve us through it. This is why we can be confident that if I'm in the midst of a temptation, God's agenda is for me to endure, to hang on, to come out on the other side. If I'm in the midst of it, if I'm going through something, I got to read something. I just feel the Lord, ooh, Jesus. This is impromptu. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Is that encouraging to anybody but me? That if I'm going through a test, if I'm going through a temptation, I can know if I'm in it, that means I can win it. If I'm in it, I'm going to overcome. If I'm in it, I'm going to come out on the other side. If I will stick with Jesus, I am able to overcome because he's with me. How do I know I'm going to make it through this? This is the hardest season of my life I've never faced anything like this this is overcoming it's incredibly difficult I get it we're here with you we're going to try and walk through it but here's what I know you're going to make it how do how do you how do you know Chad I don't know but Jesus does I have no idea whether you're going to make it or not you may epic fail for all I know but Jesus believes in you Jesus believes in you more than you believe in yourself so much so that he says, "Whatever temptation I bring into your life, I promise you, you're able to overcome it. Because with every temptation, we'll also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it." Whew. So we know there's going to be a way. But look what happens in verse 14. Back to James. But each one is tempted. How are we tempted? When he or she is drawn away. Don't forget, don't miss this part. He's drawn away by his own. What? What did, Jesus, what did Satan try and do to tempt Jesus? He used his own desire for food. He said, this is what happens. We're tempted when we're drawn away by our desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Man, I don't have time to preach all this. This is a process. gives birth to sin, and sin when it's full grown brings forth death. Here's, a, here's in a nutshell summation of it. Our desires... Here's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to take your desire. Your desire can be, don't get caught up on the example of food. Your desire can be just a feeling you have. And Satan can take that desire and make you focus on something you see and begin to draw you away. He's drawing you away with something you see. And what is he drawing you away from? He's drawing you away from what God said. He's drawing you away from the promise of God. God can speak something to you. And then all of a sudden we get tired. We get tired. We don't see any change. I've got a desire for this thing to change, and it's not. So he's going to use my own desire to see that thing change, and he's going to begin to draw me away from what I hear and focus on what I see. And I keep looking at what I see, and I get further and further away from what God said, and I begin to say, well, it's probably never going to happen because I don't see it. Temptation comes when we get drawn away by our own desires. Desires, I, my desire to be angry, he draws me away by my own desire. I'm, I'm angry about something and so I yield to that. I listen to that voice and I lose my temper. I don't forgive someone, whatever. He's using our desires against us. He tried to tempt Jesus with his own desires. What was the answer? What did Jesus do? Jesus said, what did Jesus tell Satan? What was the first part? He said, it is written. When the devil tried to use what Jesus saw, stones become bread, Jesus referred back to what the Father said. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus was saying, I don't care about your little dog and pony tricks here with stones and bread. My father said, I don't even need bread to live. I just need his words. Whenever the enemy, remember I said, the enemy's always going to say something. He's going to talk. Our problem is we're not talking back. When the enemy's saying something, trying to discourage you, trying to pull you down, trying to defeat you, he just keeps bombarding you with what you see or don't see over and over and over. At some point, we need to buck up and say, it is written. written. But he told me. This is a, this is a, Lord, is this you? I'm having a thought and I'm just having an internal conversation. Lord, is this you? I'm going to go with it. There's this, there's this movie. This context. It's, don't worry about any of that, Chad. Just focus on the, there's this part of this movie. It's called A Knight's Tale. And this guy pretends to be a knight, right? And, and they catch him, and now they're going to string him up and put him in, you know, the blocks and all that. And his friends tell him to run, run, just run away, run away. And he says, no, no, I don't want to run. And, and they said, yes, absolutely, if I were you, I would run, I would run, I would run. And then they just keep pushing, pushing, he goes, no, I am a knight. He believed He was something that superseded what everybody else said was real. And I'm just saying, God's speaking to us. There has to come a time that what the enemy puts in front of us and the voices of everybody around us, you need to do this, I'd quit, I'd give up, I'd throw in the towel, I'd I'd whatever. At some point, we got to say, no, I believe what God says. I don't know where that is for you. I don't know how that applies for you, but I'm just saying, I believe that with all of my heart. There has to be a point where we speak back. Why are we not saying anything? Why are we just letting ourselves be the punching bag? Over and over, depression and discouragement just beating us over the head. You're nothing, you're nobody, nobody likes you, nobody accepts you, nobody wants to be around you. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, it it is written has to come out of our mouth that I am loved by God. Would you bow your heads with me? Would you bow your heads? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Here's what I feel like God is wanting to do in hearts this morning. I don't know what everyone is walking through. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're in Mount Carmel. Maybe you're in Carlinville. Maybe part of our E-Roads family. With every head bowed, every eye closed, Holy Spirit, I ask you to come and do what only you can do. Stir the hearts of men and women. Stir our spirits to see what you want us to see. I believe there are people here that used to have a fiery relationship with Jesus, and right now you don't. I believe there are people that have never given their life to Jesus and accepted him as their Lord. Maybe when God was talking about what team you're on, you realize you're not on team Jesus. Maybe you thought it was okay just to be in the middle road. I'm just a good guy. I'm just a good, good lady. I'm, I'm just a good person. You know, I don't hurt anybody. I'm nice. I, I help people out. I think I'm probably going to go to heaven. I'm a pretty good person. Someone needs to love you enough and be honest with you to say you are not. We are not going to heaven based on our good deeds and how good a person we are. No one's going to pray you into heaven after you die. There is only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus the Christ. He died on the cross for the sins of humanity, yours and mine. There is no other way to be born again except yielding your heart and your life to Jesus who paid the price for you. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.